You know, the harsh reality, friends, is Christmas is a week away, right? A week from today. In about three or four days, I should start my Christmas shopping. Is what uh, anybody like me? Anybody saying, oh, no rush, no hurry, we'll get there sooner or later. It's going to be hard for me, especially hard this year, because we have coming for Christmas. I love having guests, but it does make things a little more complicated. Tuesday, I'll be heading down to Phoenix and pick them up at the airport and bring them up to be with us. I love having people at Christmas. Are you receiving anybody or having folks in your house for Christmas, family or friends? We are too. What I love this time of year especially is all the videos flying around social media of surprise, unexpected guests at Christmas. Usually they're military people, right? Uh, and so the dad, Santa Claus has a kid on his lap and it takes the beard off and it's dad. You know, dad, home from Iraq. Or the box opens up and mom jumps out. She's uh, in the military and everybody's surprised because it's great to have guests. It can be really great when it's the right guest to have an unexpected guest at Christmas. And we've been looking all through these last few weeks at the unexpected side of the Advent story. What was surprising in the scripture passages that talk about Jesus? We've, we've looked at Joseph. When he fell asleep that night, there's no way in the world he expected to have a dream in which an angel would say to him, Mary's pregnancy is okay. You can go with it. This is part of a plan. So that was an unexpected adventure that God put him on. Week after that, we looked at the unexpected resting place. You don't put babies in feeding troughs. That's not where babies belong, but it's where this baby belongs. So the manger was an unexpected resting place. Last week, we talked about the unexpected outcome. Total strangers who would have, humanly speaking, no reason to know or care that the king of the Jews was born in Israel, and yet these wise men made the trip and came and worshipped him. That was a surprise, especially a negative surprise to some people in the day, you might remember. And today, we're going to focus on our last Advent message on the unexpected birthday guests. Now, it's hard to see these guys as unexpected in some ways because we're so used to them. They are so familiar to us. They're on pretty much every Christmas card you've gotten so far this year. They are in the songs that we sing about Christmas. We sung a couple of them this morning. Our kids dress up like these guys. They put on robes and carry broomsticks. I'm a shepherd because shepherds played an important role at Christmas. In fact, they were the only guests, the only invited guests to the birth of the Son of God shepherds. We're going to be asking this morning, why these guys? And I hope by the time we're done, you'll have not just an answer to the question, but maybe maybe for the first time in your own life, a new connection to the one whose birthday they came to celebrate. Lord, thank you that we are here today, but thank you most of all that you're here today. We want you to speak. We want you to change. We want you to transform. We want you to inspire. We want you to speak because your servants are listening. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, where this familiar story takes place. If you don't have a Bible with you, slip your hand up in the air. We've got some guests, some uh, folks in the back who would be glad to give you a Bible. You're free to keep that, as a matter of fact. Where are we now in the Christmas story? Well, it's actually the same passage we looked at two weeks ago. If you were here when I talked about the manger, it's the exact same passage, but we're looking from a little different angle. Now, Mary and Joseph have received their revelation their knowledge that they were part of a big plan. They received that up north in Nazareth. And, and word got out that there was going to be a census. They were counting all the people. And you had to go back to your ancestral home. So they needed to go down to Bethlehem, where, uh, where their family was from. So they make that long journey. They get there. Famously, there's no room for them. So they wind up giving birth to their firstborn son in a stable of some kind. And it's fairly uneventful so far. 
they're there. A baby is born. He's put in a manger. It's not normal, but it's not all that dramatic until God cranks up the drama just a little bit. First, the stage is set for this familiar passage. There were shepherds, Luke 2, verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Let's stop there and and look at this stage that is set. Here are these guys quietly doing their job. Their job required them because they needed to watch over their livelihood, their flocks. They're out there at night, and they're just doing what they do pretty much every night. They didn't expect anything unusual to happen that night. And all of a sudden, (laughs) all of a sudden, this bright light shines all around them. The glory of the Lord, it calls it that. This bright, bright light. Now, we have to understand what that would have been for these guys. Try to put aside what's normal for us. You and I are used to light at night. It's part of our lives. When we go out at night, we walk along streets with street lights. We go downtown and we enjoy the Christmas lights. I'm sitting here on a, I'm standing on a stage and there's bright light shining on me. We're used to light at night. If you're like me from Los Angeles, you're used to helicopters flying around and shining bright lights down in the middle of the night and watching bad guys and police and all that stuff. It's not all that unusual. And we kind of picture this event as if there were a helicopter without the copter. And there's these bright light. And these guys who are just doing their jobs suddenly find themselves outlined and bright light. And they can see their friends. They can see the grass. And all of a sudden, and this angel is there. And he starts talking to them. Put yourself in their shoes. What a moment that must have been like. And let's stop for a minute and ask the question, what is that light? And why is it found all through the Bible? See, God uses all through Scripture this theme of light and dark, of, of, of night and day. And the bright light almost always reveals that God is here. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. That's why back in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were wandering around a desert for 40 years, God said, I want you to build a place where you and I can meet. It'll be a, a tent. It'll be portable. It'll be movable, but it'll be made just to my specifications. He called it the tabernacle. We need a place to meet. So he says, build it this way, this size and this width, with these skins and this furniture. And when the people finished to the letter, doing exactly what God said, for God to, for him to show this place is special, he sent bright light to fill that place, so blinding they couldn't even walk in. The priests couldn't do their job while this light was shining. And God was saying, I live here. Meet me here. When they got to the promised land, they didn't need a portable tabernacle anymore, so God had King Solomon build a temple, a permanent structure that would meet the same purpose. This is where you will meet me, God says. And again, he told them exactly how to build it. It wasn't up to them to guess. He said, here's what I want you to do. And when they had finished the task, once again, God sent this supernatural bright light to fill the temple so they couldn't even go to blinding their eyes. And then this baby, whose birthday they're celebrating now, a few years later, he's going to go up on a hill. And he's going to take just three of his friends with him. And for God's own reasons, for a few minutes, God's going to lift the veil in Jesus that sort of hid the brightness of his divinity, his godhood. And all of a sudden, these guys are blinded by the bright light coming from Jesus. And God is saying, I am here. Meet me here. That's how God uses light all through the Bible. And now these shepherds, poor guys out there doing their jobs, suddenly find themselves caught up in this glory of God, this 
bright light that is a theme throughout the Bible. And then this angel appears, and, and he's going to say something to them. And sure enough, they were terrified. Okay, let's cut them some slack, right? I'd be terrified too. Wouldn't you? You there? No? Okay. <laughs> well, I would be. <laughs> that would get my attention. That would make me stop and listen to this angel. And sure enough, the angel has something important to say. Here's an announcement that comes now to them. For now, there's only one angel, don't forget. The gang is going to show up in a minute. But for now, it's just one. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now first, as angels tend to do, <laughs> the angel realized, uh, okay, this is kind of troubling. So he says, don't be afraid. It's okay. Take the mind off me. I'm bringing you news. I'm, I'm proclaiming something to you. News of a great joy for all the people. It's good news. So listen to what I'm saying, angels, uh, shepherds. And then he goes on to give this baby, whose birth just took place, three different titles. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Significant titles. And each one a little more significant than the one before it. Again, put yourself in the place of these men. First they hear that there's a Savior who's been born. Well, yeah, that's good news to them, right? Because life is hard. We need saving. Rome is everywhere. There's, their, their foot is on our neck. The taxes are high. Life is tough. The religious leaders are pushing us and judging us and, and being holier than thou. And the political leaders are corrupt. And life is difficult. And whenever life got this bad in the Old Testament, God sent somebody. God sent a hero, a Savior, somebody who would make things better for us. Oh, boy, are we glad to hear there's a Savior who's finally come. We need one. But then, he's not just a Savior, a Savior who is Christ. Okay, that bumps it up a level, doesn't it? Because now, that word Christ, that means Messiah, to the ears of a first century Israelite, it's, okay, finally, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is not just any regular hero. This isn't just somebody like Moses or, 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 or David. No, this is the one God's been talking about from the start. This is the one our prophets have told us was going to come one day. This is the fulfillment of so many promises throughout the Bible that God says, one day I'm going to make right. One day I'm going to put an end to this mess and this rebellion. One day things will get better because I'm sending you somebody. And this is the one. This is the day we get to be the generation the shepherds knew now. We're the generation that welcomes the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. He's finally here. No good news. Now, he's the Savior. He's Christ. But now, here's the unexpected one. He's the Lord. Shepherds say, wait, what? We, we didn't expect that. He's the Lord. He's, he's God. No, he's not human like us? Well, he's human, but he's more. We didn't expect that. We didn't expect God himself to come. We thought he would send somebody. We've been waiting for the sent one, and now we find out the sent one is God himself. That God comes himself. He invades the world that he created to show how much he loves us, to make things right himself. That was unexpected. That was incredible news. The Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, this one announcement by the angel it's pretty significant, so much so, in fact, it's almost like all of heaven just can't contain itself. 
all the rest of the angels, I don't know, maybe a little jealous of this one guy who got to make the announcement, a bunch of them now show up, and they start celebrating. Great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Do you get the sense that heaven just can't contain itself? That this long-awaited day has finally come when God himself is in human form and the angels just can't help but say, Wow! Look at what's happened. Look at what God has done. Look at how good it's going to be for the people. Glory to God. He gets the praise. But boy, peace to men on whom his favor rests. So much is changing today, the angels realize. And they can't help but celebrate. Now, they weren't singing. We, we, we like to say they were I'm not sure where that tradition began. Angels singing over the plains. Well, they were speaking and they were no doubt shouting and celebrating. But we can't say they were singing with any authority. But who cares? They were happy. They were excited about God. They were excited for us. And angels decide, the shepherds decide, okay, this really matters. So the shepherds obey. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Friends, when the night shift is interrupted by angels, you do what they say. That's the famous old saying I just made up. <laughs> when the night shift is interrupted by angels, you obey them. And sure enough, these guys got this announcement. They were told where they'd find the baby, and they say, well, let's not just stay here. Let's go check it out. So they leave their flocks behind, pretty big thing for a shepherd to do, and they go off in Bethlehem looking. Now, chances are Bethlehem was pretty full of people that night. Because others, like Mary and Joseph, had to come back for this census. It's pretty, we can count on the idea that there were probably lots of babies around town. So how are they going to find this one baby they were told about? Well, well, there was a clue. You'll find the baby lying in a manger. Yeah, lots of babies in town, but probably not many in feeding troughs. That's not where you put babies. But it's where they put this one. The manger was the giveaway. And the obedience of these shepherds led to changed hearts. When they had seen him, they finally found this baby, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Friends, obedience changes hearts. And the first hearts that were changed were the people. See, these shepherds, we'll talk about them in a minute, they couldn't keep it to themselves, so they go around spreading the word, and the people who heard it were amazed. This is not the last time this baby Jesus would be amazing. He seemed to amaze people all through the rest of his life. In 12 years, he'll go to the temple. He'll be left behind by his family, and he'll be getting dialoguing and discussing with priests and rabbis. And they'll be amazed, the Bible says, at the intelligence and wisdom of this teenager. Not even yet a teenager. When he grows into being an adult, he'll be doing powerful things. He'll calm storms with a word. He'll heal people. He'll bring the people back from the dead. And folks will be amazed. They'll listen to what he says and the way he says it. And he brings such good news about God and such a new high standard, but such powerful teaching. Teaching amazing. Friends, it's a shame to miss out on being amazed by what is amazing. 
And I hope this week we won't allow the crazy schedule and the busyness of the season to keep us from copying these folks and spending some time being amazed that we have a God like this. Amazed that He would lower Himself into our world. That He would love us enough to come be with us and fight our battles and win our war. It's amazing that God is like that. Don't let it get routine. Don't let it get ho-hum, especially this time of year. Let's copy these folks who were amazed at the news they heard. We're also wise to copy Mary. Because Mary's heart was changed, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, in some ways, I, I think a lot of this happened because God wanted to affirm and encourage Mary and Joseph. This is my own theory, but I think it makes sense. Remember, we don't have any indication that God continued to send angels and speak to them. The last news they had was months ago. And then the pregnancy happens, and they're dealing with whatever they're getting from other people and disapproval and whatever. It wasn't normal in the day. But now they get there, and the baby's born. And if I were them, I'd be wondering, really? This is what God told us about? Having a baby in this stinking stable and having to put him in a feeding trough? Really? This? And then all of a sudden, these angels, these shepherds show up. And they tell Mary and Joseph what they've been told about your son. Your baby. Angels are celebrating him. Why, that had to be encouraging to them. <laughs> Can you imagine? That had to be, oh, yeah, okay, this is right. So God was saying to Joseph, you did well. You listened and you obeyed and you took Mary the way I told you to. You're on the right path. Mary, you did well. You embraced your role. You, you are the one that I've made you to be. And you're playing the role I've set aside for you. You did well, Mary. I call these winks from God. And I think this is a wink from God to this couple. And Mary responds by treasuring the experience and by pondering it in her heart. When's the last time you pondered? I think pondering is a lost art in our culture because our culture is noisy and it's busy. There's all types of screens yelling at us and things calling to us. Pondering doesn't happen in that atmosphere. Uh, absorbing information does, but it's overwhelming. It's being thrown. We don't have time to sit and connect the dots of our lives. We don't have time naturally to sit and think about important stuff and our role in it. Now, we've lost the art of pondering. And I encourage you this week to push back against that, to make it a goal this week to set aside some of that time, to turn off the phone, get away from the computer or the TV, Go someplace where you can just sit and treasure and ponder because the arrival of Jesus Christ into our world and into our lives is worth thinking about. It's worth being amazed by. And it's worth imitating Mary's example here. Let's become pondering people, friends. God does things when we ponder. And then the hearts of the shepherds are changed because they actually become imitators of the very angels who gave them this assignment. Do you notice that? See, at the beginning it says, they spread the word concerning what they'd been told them. The angel came and gave them a news, gave them an announcement, and they became announcers of that announcement. The proclaimees became the proclaimers. Those who heard the news passed on the news because they couldn't keep it to themselves. That is God's plan all through the Bible. Those who receive news, pass it on. A prophet gets a word from God, he passes it on. 
someone enters into a relationship with Jesus and we get forgiveness and love and eternal life, guess what? We become proclaimers. It's our job to tell others. You are here today because somebody told you, right? Who was that? Think about who it was who spent time telling you, a parent, a family member, a friend. Who knows? God has all kinds of ways. But if you know Jesus today, it's because someone took on the role of announcing this same news to you. Question, have you made that jump? Have you become a proclaimer? Who in your world needs to hear this week what Christmas is about? Are you going to keep it to yourself? Are you going to say, well, I've learned all this great stuff about why Jesus was born and what he came for and, and, and what it means. What a shame to bottle yourself up. Because God's got people around you, and He wants you to follow the imitation of these guys and pass on that news. So first they imitated the one angel, and then notice they imitated the group of angels, because just like there was a big celebration at the end of that announcement, these guys left glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen. How can you not glorify and praise God when you understand what Christmas is all about? When you've been to the manger and seen Jesus, that's got to create this reaction in us. So friends, that's a bit of a verse-by-verse look at this very well-known passage. But I told you when we began that we'd be addressing a very specific question. Why these guys? Of all the people who might have been invited to the birth of the Son of God, why shepherds? Why not important people? Why not the high priest? Why not Levites who serve in the temple? Why not some of the Pharisees and Sadducees who would one day be his opponents? Why not some important religious folks? Why not some important political folks? The movers and shakers of Israel at the time. Why not some Romans? Why weren't they there? Of all the people to invite, why invite these guys? Because they aren't significant. And they aren't important, and they don't have influence. In fact, they had very little, if any. Shepherds in Christ's day were, were seen as sort of on the fringes of society. They weren't in the, in the mainstream. They weren't able to go to the temple with all the people. They weren't able to celebrate the, the festivals and the feasts. Their job required them to be out all the time. What they had to do as shepherds made them ceremonially unclean and unable to participate in much of what the rest of the country was doing. So they weren't looked to for advice. They weren't seen as influencers. Neither were Mary and Joseph, as a matter of fact. So of all the people to invite to celebrate the birthday of the Son of God, these were unexpected birthday guests. What did their presence mean? I think it means two things. First, the choice of the shepherds reveals that God would use unexpected people to change the world. Friends, I want to read a passage that will be written few years later after the birth of Christ by the Apostle Paul to a church in Corinth. Part of it's on the screen there, but I'm going to start a verse earlier. He says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See, God had a plan all along, and He didn't do anything by accident. He knew the people He was going to eventually use were just normal people, people who weren't the movers and shakers. He didn't need them. He didn't really... The movement wasn't going to be built on them. 
Now, that's why Mary and Joseph were normal folks. The shepherds were normal folks. This Jesus wasn't going to be raised in Jerusalem at the seat of religious and political power. He's going to be raised in Nazareth, a backwater hick town made fun of by the rest of the country. He was going to be raised by average poor parents. When he eventually put a team together through whom God would change the world, they weren't priests and rabbis and all these fancy people. They were fishermen. There was a tax collector. There was a revolutionary. They were normal people. That's the way God was going to accomplish his task. That's who God was planning to use. And he showed it right from the start by inviting shepherds, lowly shepherds, to celebrate his birth. Friends, I find that encouraging. I hope you do too. Because if you feel average or below average, if you feel looked down on, if you feel weak, if you feel unqualified, then I've got good news for you. You're exactly the kind of person God loves to use. You're exactly the kind of person God changes the world through. And I dare to say that He's got something in your world that He wants to change. And He wants to change it through you. Have you discovered that yet? If not, have you asked Him? Have you prayed a very bold prayer? Lord, what do you want to do through me? What world do you want to change? through me. I challenge you to pray that prayer. But if you do, buckle your seatbelt because interesting things can start to happen. Because God answers those prayers. And who knows what He'll do through you. Don't feel unqualified because God invited shepherds to His birthday. Secondly, the choice of the shepherds reveals that Jesus had embraced an unexpected mission to change the world. He didn't come for the purpose most people thought. In fact, he did something very curious. When he grew and started his ministry and he began doing things in public that were amazing, and we've talked about some of them, sometimes those things were done more privately. Just him and somebody who needed him. And in some of those cases, he did something powerful and extraordinary and healing and, and, and transforming. And he said something really curious many of those times. You know what he said to those people who had just experienced his amazing power? More often than not, he said to them, don't tell anybody. I just got done rereading the Gospel of Matthew. I I wish I kept track of how many times. He does a miracle, and the recipient of the miracle is told, shh, don't say this to anyone. Now, half the time they ignored him. (laughs) I've been healed. Jesus did it. So his plan wasn't always met. But why in the world would he say that? If his goal was to be influential, if his goal was to start a movement that would change things, you'd think he'd have a PR department. You'd think he'd have a marketing director. You'd think he'd put these people up on billboards all over Jerusalem. Jesus did this. Instead he went, shh. Why? I guess because he didn't come for the reason they thought he did. And that many people, in seeing his power and seeing his goodness... They would want to make him king. That's the label he was given early on, the king of the Jews. And yes, in many ways he was. That was his, his, his title. But he didn't come here to reign. He came for a different purpose. See, even the d- disciples didn't get it when, when, when they slowly realized who this Jesus was. And even though he was pronounced the Messiah at his birth, it had to sink in. And then one day he says to the disciples, Who do you say I am? And when Peter said, You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. 
Jesus says, yes, you get it now. I'm going to die. I'm not here to reign. I'm here to die. And the disciples wanted nothing to do with that idea. No, Jesus, how could you die? He knew they'd want to make him king. In John chapter 6, after he fed 5,000 people with meager food, that's exactly what they wanted. It says he knew they wanted to make him king. You know how, what, what he did? He went for a walk in the mountains. He, he moved away from them. He went for a hike. I'm glad Jesus hikes. <laughs> and when he knew they were going to make him king, he said, no, I'm out of here. That's not what I came for. So when the disciples identified him as Christ, he had to start right away. Next verse, I'm here to die. The only one who got it was John the Baptist, who when he saw Jesus approaching him said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was his mission. And the word lamb meant something to the people in Christ's day. Because they knew that back in the day, a, a lamb had been killed at Passover in Egypt before the Exodus. So the, the firstborn of the family of Israel would be protected. And the blood of that lamb was sprinkled on the doorpost as a sign. A sacrifice has happened here. This person is safe. They knew that in the temple, every day, morning and evening, lambs were being sacrificed to cover the sins of the people of Israel. They knew what a lamb meant. And from our ears, it sounds a little barbaric that an innocent sacrifice would pay for the sins of the guilty. It seems unfair somehow. Yet it's a system that God set up from the beginning. And Jesus had come to be that lamb. John the Baptist knew it. And he knew that every one of those sacrifices from the Old Testament to Christ's day, every one of those was pointing to the ultimate lamb, Jesus, who was born not to reign, but to die on a cross. Who came into a human form to have a body and blood so he could give both on the cross 33 years later. That's why he was born, so he could die. So he could be the innocent substitute for the guilty that he loved people that much. In fact, there was a sacrifice built in to every family's experience of birth. When a son would be born into an Israelite family, they needed to sacrifice a lamb to redeem that son. It was part of the ritual. But if they were poor, they were allowed, because they couldn't afford a lamb, they were allowed to bring something cheaper, a couple of birds. And at the end of Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph go to the temple to carry out that ritual. And because they're poor, they have a couple of birds with them. They think they can't afford a lamb. Ironically, they're carrying one in their arms in that moment. Because Jesus came to be the Lamb of God. And who better to welcome a lamb into the world than shepherds? It's what they do. That's why they were invited. So friends, we've learned a lot about this Jesus today. We've learned the titles that this passage gives him. We've learned why he came. We've learned that he came to be Savior and Christ and Lord. And he's the Lamb. But the order of events matters a lot. Because here's the truth. Jesus can't be your Savior. He can't be your Christ. He can't be your Lord until he is your Lamb. Until what he came to do on the cross gets applied to you. Until his blood forgives your sins. Until his sacrifice wipes your slate clean before a holy God. He's just an interesting guy. And everyone needs to, at some point in their lives, realize 
that death was for me. That sacrifice is for me. He is the Lamb of God who takes away my sins and reconnects me to my holy Creator. Until you've taken that step of embracing that, it's just so much history. And everyone needs to pray a prayer I'm about to pray right now. And if you've not yet taken this step, if Jesus so far is someone you're curious about or wanting to learn about, wonderful, we're glad you're here. But might this Christmas be the moment to take that step and make that commitment and step into that relationship with the Lamb of God. Let's all bow our heads together. And if you've never done this before, I invite you to pray silently with me as I pray. Jesus, now I know why you came. Now I know who you are. Now I know how much you love me. I don't deserve it, but I'm so glad for it. I now know you paid for my sin on the cross. You were my substitute, receiving the punishment I deserve so I could have the eternal life that you deserve. Lord, that matters to me. And I bow the knee to you right now. I trust you right now. I put my faith in you and you alone right now. I commit to following you starting today. Because my life can't be what God wants it to be without you. Would you come into my life? Would you change me and transform me? And would you make this Christmas unlike any other one I've ever celebrated before? Friends, if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, that's a wonderful day. And I'd love to celebrate it with you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything fancy except just to raise your hand. Slip your hand up into the air so I can know and I can celebrate before God with you. Has anyone today prayed that prayer for the first time. We're going to celebrate that right now. Thank you. Lord, thank you so much for coming and dying and calling us to follow you. Would you indeed, for all of us, make this Christmas unlike one we've ever had before. And thank you for coming. Being who you were 2,000 years ago and being who you are today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.